Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here as we continue our journey through Advent towards Christmas. Uh, you know, this past Friday was just a, a fantastic day at River Cross Mission. Uh, things got underway with our community Christmas dinner, uh, where an amazing volunteer team, 50 strong, served a delicious turkey dinner to 190 people from the Old North End and Crescent Valley. And then in the afternoon, another volunteer team gave out empty stocking gift cards to 500 parents uh, so that their kids could have Christmas. Uh, just an amazing, wonderful day. And our church's Christmas outreach work will continue through this week into next week. As, uh, as Joe mentioned, we are going to pack and deliver groceries next Sunday afternoon down at River Cross Mission uh, for 140 families in the neighborhood, so we need lots of volunteer help for that. Uh, we're also giving out Christmas gift bags to 34 youth, six young adults, six seniors, and over 40 encouragement gifts to folks in our church family who have just had a really tough year and just need a little bit of a lift. And I wanted to let you all know that this is all possible because of your incredible generosity. To date, uh, you have given about $21,000 towards Christmas outreach, which is amazing. And I want to say, from the bottom of my heart, Thank you very much. Why don't you give yourselves a big round of applause? I do also want to remind you that if you have yet to give towards Christmas outreach, but we're planning to, now is the time as we make this final push through this week. Uh, we will continue to gratefully receive donations. Uh, we still have some outstanding costs. But most of all, I just want to say thank you to all of you uh, for helping out in this incredibly generous way. Well, today we're going to uh, continue with our teaching series on a better story. And by the way, uh, before I jump into this, um, when I spoke at the first service, I, I think that the 930 crowd must have been asleep. I have hum what I thought were humorous moments strategically placed throughout the sermon, but I wasn't getting much of a laugh. So I want to invite you, feel free to laugh as we go along. So, you know, we live in a time when so many people are looking with open hearts for meaning and purpose in their lives. And there are so many competing stories out there of what that can look like, each of them offering a truth to guide your way. Advent gives us, as Jesus followers, this wonderful opportunity to share our story, too, in conversation with these other stories. In fact, we can't help ourselves uh, because we believe our story is so liberating and life-giving that we just have to share it with our friends and neighbors. And today, spoiler alert, uh, we're looking at how God in Jesus Christ is a better story because he comes for all people. We're going to use the family tree of Jesus, his birth record in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17 to unpack this. If you don't have a Bible or phone, just find page 1496 in the red Bible under the chair in front of you. But be warned, I'm using the message, a different translation than the one in the chairs, because it just says things in a little bit more approachable way. Follow along as I read. The family tree of Jesus Christ, David's son, Abraham's son. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Judah and his brothers. Judah had Perez and Zerah. The mother was Tamar. Perez had Hezron. Hezron had Aram. Aram had Aminadab. 
Amenadab had Nashon, Nashon had Salmon, Salmon had Boaz, his mother was Rahab, Boaz had Obed, Ruth was the mother, Obed had Jesse, Jesse had David, and David became king. David had Solomon, Uriah's wife was the mother. Solomon had Rehoboam, Rehoboam had Abijah, Abijah had Asa, Asa had Jehosh Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat had Joram, Joram had Uzziah, Uzziah had Jotham, Jotham had Ahaz, Ahaz had Hezekiah, Hezekiah had Manasseh, Manasseh had Amon, Amon had Josiah, Josiah had Jehoiachin and his brothers, and then the people were taken into the Babylonian exile. When the Babylonian exile ended, Jeconiah had Shealtiel, Shealtiel had Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel had Abiud, Abiud had Elihim, Elihim had Azor, Azor had Zadok, Zadok had Achim, Achim had Eli Eliad, Eliad had Eliezer, Eliezer had Mathan, Mathan had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph, Mary's husband, the Mary who gave birth to Jesus, the Jesus who was called Christ. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David, another 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and yet another 14 from the Babylonian exile to Christ. Now, wasn't that a fun read? <laughs> so let's just get real here, folks. I'm guessing that at least some of you let your minds wander off a bit as I droned on just now about the, the family tree of Jesus, uh, maybe to your Christmas shopping list or to dinner plans later today or just to some meditative state as you inhale the vapors from your coffee cup. And why not? After all, the family tree of Jesus doesn't make for gripping reading, does it? It's this long list of names that are difficult to pronounce, and by the time you get through it, if you get through it, you aren't all that inspired to keep going, are you? Imagine if Agatha Christie began a mystery novel like this, or John Grisham, his latest lawyer novel. I doubt you'd keep reading. But at the same time, I'll bet many of you in this room have a family member, a husband, or a mother, or uncle, who is big into exploring the twists and turns of family history. Maybe you're that person, always tracking down another name in library archives or on the internet, while the rest of the clan looks at you as strangely obsessed, like the guy in the comic on the screen. But the truth is, even if you think that family member does get carried away sometimes, you get drawn in, don't you? As they discover interesting connections and unearth stories about long-lost relatives. There's just something about it. And trust me, these family history detectives aren't alone. There are a lot of them. So many, in fact, that there's now a multi-billion dollar industry that promises you, quote, nothing less than time traveling through your family's story. Ancestry.ca lets you sift and sort through a multitude of records at your leisure. National Geographic offers Genealogy 101, a course with eight steps to get you started. Even the Canadian government is ready to help. Library and Archives Canada Online will walk you through things, point you to databases, and connect you to a genealogy consultant if you lose your way. Then, if you're willing to pay the big bucks, you can hire a whole team of people to dig up information, like the happy, smiling folks at LegacyTree.com, that's them on the screen, who will commit their, quote, hand-picked, tested, and trained genealogist team to find your story. Then with even more money, you can turn to 23andMe and to test your DNA. 
and find lost branches of your family tree as they trace your ancestors' journeys through different people groups across the planet. So why do we do this? Why are we preoccupied with family history? Because we all recognize that our family story in significant ways shapes and forms who we are as people. We all want to have a sense of place, to know where the roots of our lives grow down to, because in discovering where we come from, we more fully understand who we are now. Remembering and reflecting on the stories of those who've gone before, the, the things they did to get ahead, the hardships, the sometimes disastrous decisions, the joys, the success they achieved, knowing all that does help us to more fully appreciate our own story. It helps to explain how we got to where we are. Which brings us back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew starts his telling of the Christmas story with this rather tedious 17-verse recitation of the family tree of Jesus because he knows how important the past is to understanding him. Matthew is saying, if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to understand his character and his purpose in life, then you really must know his backstory. To know Jesus, you must know where he came from and why. So let's take a look now at what Matthew chapter 1 shows us about the character of Jesus. Notice first how the family tree is organized. Three groups of 14 generations each. These groups represent the three great stages in Israel's history. Stage number one, from the birth of the nation through Father Abraham to the rise of good King David. These were the glory days. Israel was prosperous, powerful, and the people were faithful to God. Stage number two, in contrast, is a time of no faith, disaster, and judgment. The nation was divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Prophets railed against the people for their godless ways. God's judgment came in military invasion, and the people were dragged into exile in Babylon. Stage number three brings us back to more hopeful times. Return from exile, reclaiming the land, rebuilding the temple, and the long and faithful wait for a Messiah. Here's what Matthew wants us to see in all this, that the family tree of Jesus is intertwined with the unfolding history of Israel. And in both cases, there's an order and purpose to what's happening. 14, 14, 14. In the glory days, 14 generations. But in the days of chaos, judgment, and despair, still 14 generations. And in the days of reclaiming, rebuilding, and hopeful waiting, again, 14 generations. There's an orderly purpose here that's going somewhere. But more than that, there's an unfolding perfection too. If you're acquainted with the Bible, you soon realize that Scripture sometimes leans heavily on symbolism. The number seven, for example, is used throughout Scripture as a symbol of perfection. Fourteen generations is two sevens, which means something. If seven is perfect, seven plus seven is more than perfect. Absolute perfection over and over and over again throughout the family tree. So Matthew is telling us that history ultimately isn't unpredictable. No, instead it's under God's guidance. The handprints of God's good and purposeful and more than perfect will are all over the family tree of Jesus. And within 
the unfolding history of Israel. Whether glory or chaos, hope or despair, God is still on the move and going somewhere. In fact, going towards someone, Jesus Christ, whose name shows up three times in verse 1 and verses 16 and 17, forming a frame around this family tree, which suggests that this Jesus is an important guy. He's important, first of all, because, verse 1, he's David's son, Abraham's son. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, and God delivers. Faithful Abraham becomes the father of the Israelite people. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God promises to work through King David to build Israel into a nation in which his family line will endure forever before me and whose son will forever sit on the throne. The family tree of Jesus connects back generation to generation to prove out that Jesus Christ is descended from Father Abraham and good King David. Why? To reveal that there is greatness in him. It's in his blood. But the truth is, the greatness of Jesus even surpasses that of Abraham and David. He is the absolutely perfect fulfillment of the family line. And we know this because of the title Jesus is given, Christ. You know, when I introduce myself, I say, hi, I'm John Knight. Those are my given names. In the same way, we typically say Jesus Christ as if that's his personal name. But actually, Jesus, which means the Lord saves, was his personal name, and Christ is the title Jesus was given when he began his divine mission. That's why Matthew 1 verse 16 says, Jesus who was called Christ. Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word for Messiah, which means anointed one. The title the Jewish people used exclusively for the one whom prophecy points to, who would come to save the people of Israel once and for all. Now in their minds, Christ the Messiah would be a political and military leader who would free them from hundreds of years of, of oppression at the hands of powerful nations. But the Messiah mission of Jesus was entirely different, as we'll see in just a moment. But first, let's sum things up to now. The family tree of Jesus tells us that God in Jesus Christ is a better story than we could ever imagine because it speaks of one who is special, unique, one of a kind. God has been on the move in history until his good and purposeful and perfect will arrives at the anointed one, Christ the Messiah, who alone can carry out God's saving mission. Jesus is in the exclusive company of one. There's none other like him, none other that can do his work. Well, we've done some heavy lifting for the past few minutes, and I hope you'll You'll stick with me, uh, but let's just pause for a moment and enjoy this rather clever take on why Einstein opted for the different form of relativity instead. Hope you get the joke. I'm going to have a gulp of water and give you a moment to ponder. Feel free to chuckle. Yeah, you know, uh, trying to figure out our family tree sometimes can get that complicated. I heard a good laugh just over here. All right, so let, let's, just, uh, let's just move on here. So, Jesus Christ alone can carry out this Messiah mission. You know, I think that's a challenging thing to say in a time when my truth is one of the defining values of life. 
Pastor Rob talked about this last Sunday, the fact that people in their honest search for purpose in life are taking a bit of this and a bit of that and putting together their own versions of truth. Well, this is my truth. You hear that a lot. So when I say Jesus alone can carry out this Messiah mission, it can sound arrogant. But that's not how Matthew means it, not at all. What he's really saying is only someone as special and unique as Jesus is capable of successfully carrying out God's Messiah mission. Why? Because it's going to take someone who can rise above the mess and chaos of life in this world where putting others in their place, keeping people on the outside looking in or just being consumed with selfish ambition is all too common. To all that, God responds with a one-of-a-kind Messiah whose mission is to welcome everyone in. The family tree of Jesus shows us that God in Jesus Christ is a better story than we could ever imagine because his wide-open mercy generously reaches to all people, including each and every one of us here today. Jesus didn't come as a Superman Messiah who would stride into the Palestine of his day, stomp on the Jewish oppressors, and create an earthly paradise for his people. No, but he did come to turn the world upside down for all people by taking them to a deep-hearted spiritual place and leading them to a cross. It's a story that welcomes everyone, and we see this in his family tree. Jesus the Messiah tears down walls so that outsiders can come in. The first wall is the one between Jew and Gentile. Matthew 1 verse 1 says that Jesus was Abraham's son. Genesis chapters 11 and 12 in the Old Testament remind us that Abraham was a Gentile before he became the first ever Jew and the father of Israel. Abraham was a Chaldean, and God came to him and said, leave that all behind, come with me to start something new. Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And there were promises in God's call to Abraham, first to make you into a great nation, Israel, but also to honor Abraham's Gentile Chaldean heritage. Genesis 12, verse 3. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And we see this blessing to Jew and to Gentile unfolding in a remarkable way in the family tree of Jesus. A way that doesn't just tear down the Jew and Gentile wall, but between men and women too. Folks, we need to understand something that the Jewish society of Jesus' day and in the centuries before was organized in a way where power and identity flowed through the men. Women had no legal rights, no independent decision-making apart from their father or husband. They were property more than people. So it was rare indeed for women to turn up in family tree lists of the time, somehow conveniently ignoring pregnancy and birth Women were sidelined in the story of how families continued generation to generation. Yet in the family tree of Jesus, four women are named. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And a fifth woman is identified. Verse 6, Uriah's wife. 
whom we all know, of course, was Bathsheba. Amazing, unheard of. And equally astonishing is the fact that, the, that four of these women were Gentiles. They weren't even Jews. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites, Ruth a Moabite, and Bathsheba likely a Hittite. Folks, in the family tree of Jesus, we see God's orderly and perfect purpose unfolding, shaping and forming Christ for a Messiah mission that will reach with God's mercy to all people. But we have still one more wall to come down, the highest, behind which every single one of us here today is hiding. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but, here, but first, here's a selfie. I took when I attended a conference in Dallas in October. That's me and the great Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of America. Notice Pastor Joe's response when I sent this to the staff. Now, I don't think Ben and I are related, but who knows? Maybe uh, 23andMe will prove otherwise. We'll see. So, folks, there are lots of saints in the family tree of Jesus, but guess what? There are some really bad sinners, too. Let's start with the obvious, Matthew 1, verse 6. David had Solomon, Uriah's wife was the mother. Hmm. Now, why did Matthew say Uriah's wife instead of saying Bathsheba or David's wife? Because he wants to remind us about the fact that good King David, the one that the judge and prophet Samuel described as a man after God's own heart, actually wasn't always so good. Many of you know the story. If you don't, you can check it out in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But basically, David uses his power as king to sinfully bend things to his will. First, he seduces Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife, and Bathsheba obviously knows that it's not wise to refuse the summons of the king. David has all the power here. So this isn't just adultery, which is bad enough, it's actually rape. There's nothing consensual going on here. And then when David's cover of all, of all this goes sideways, he arranges for Uriah to be killed in battle. So that's murder. Sometimes David's heart went to places other than God. Or how about Matthew 1 verses 2 and 3? Judah and Tamar, father-in-law and daughter-in-law. Check out their story in Genesis 37 and 38. Judah was a conniving, dishonest, unfaithful man who betrayed his brother Joseph of Egypt fame and didn't keep his promises to look after Tamar when her husband died. So Tamar left high and dry and having learned no doubt from observing Judah in action, dresses up like a sex trade worker, seduces him, gets pregnant and traps Judah into keeping his word. And that's how twin boys, Perez and Zerah, end up in the family tree of Jesus. Lots of sin going on here, folks. And I could go on. We could talk about the scandalous life of the Jericho sex trade worker, Rahab, or King Manasseh. My goodness, he abandoned worship of the one true God, personally participated in cult practices that sacrificed children and butchered a whole bunch of prophets. Not a nice guy. Yet here he is in the family tree of Jesus. Folks, this quick but painful look at sin in the line of Jesus was no fun, but it was necessary. 
Because again, it reminds us that in the backstory of Jesus, we see God at work preparing things for Christ's Messiah mission that will reach to all people. And you can't get any broader in your reach and in your embrace than to sinners. Because each of us here, we may not be a David or a Manasseh, a Tamar or a Rahab, but we are sinners all. Let's be honest. We each have things that get in the way of a good relationship with God and in the way of healthy relationships with each other. Sin. Yet Christ comes looking for each and every one of us. No distinctions. No exceptions. Jew and Gentile, women and men, saints and sinners, everyone is, is included in the wide open mercy of the Messiah's salvation story. Sam Albury, who is a well-known Christian writer says it like this. Let's read it out loud together. It's on the screen there. Matthew's family tree includes the outcast, scandalous, and foreigner. The family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. And that, of course, is what happens. After Mary, a humble teenage peasant girl, put aside her father's influence and trusts God instead, bringing scandal to her own family's name, but also bringing the Messiah's family tree to fulfillment by giving birth to Jesus, who was called Christ. And Christ took up his Messiah mission, reaching out equally without distinction, as the Gospels show us, to Jews and Gentiles, women and men, respectable religious folk, and outcast sinners too. And as they each came to the cross in faith, receiving mercy there, the walls fell away. They became family to each other, a beautiful community, which we know today as the church. The Apostle Paul eloquently captures this sense of beautiful community in Galatians chapter 3, reading from the New Living Translation. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As the worship team comes back to the platform now, I'm going to end with a story. Tim Huff is a street worker and advocate who carries on ministry among the forgotten and homeless in Toronto. He's also a wonderful writer. One of my favorite ever Christmas stories is in his book, Bent Hope. The story is entitled, On-Ramp Angels. It's a true story about a cold winter night a few days out from Christmas. Tim had attended his church's carol sing and then packaged up the leftover cookies and goodies and gone in search of some street kids he knew hung out under an on-ramp to the Gardner Expressway in Toronto. When he found them, he shouted out, homemade treats, and the four teenagers came running. And over the next while, they sat around enjoying this moment of luxury together and just began to naturally talk about Christmas. But the conversation also opened deep wounds. There's a reason why kids end up on the street. 17-year-old Sarah, who was as tough as they come, recalled her mom baking Christmas cookies in years past and then added, it's the only thing I can think of that I miss. As the conversation continued, these teenagers without prompting began to imagine that first ever Christmas 
when Jesus, who was called Christ, was born. Dougie, a 16-year-old farm boy from Alberta, sort of pondered out loud, you know, baby Jesus probably got tired of everyone hugging him so much. It was the cry of a lonely heart longing for love. To which Sarah replied, I've never been hugged, never, very angry. Then again, never, softly and sadly, never been hugged. I'll let Tim pick up the story. And we all sat in silence, but for the slow chewing of shortbread and the quick whistling of frozen rubber tires racing above our heads, it was a heartbreaking silence. Then the young survivors stood up one by one, compelled to rise by no other prodding or instinct than their God-given hearts. Each one stepped towards Sarah and without saying a single word, took her into their arms, and she melted there. A tiny Christmas miracle, no twinkling lights, no presents, no music, just some leftover baked goods for priceless children, and a man who witnessed Christmas angels revealing themselves eight feet below the rusty steel girders of an ancient motorway. A night like no other, a silent night, a holy night. God in Jesus Christ is a better story than we could ever imagine because outsiders are welcomed in from the cold. His wide-open Messiah mission of mercy brings hope to us all, to unloved teenagers, to me, to you. No distinctions, no exceptions. Will we come in out of the cold? Will you receive God's warm welcome into his beautiful family this Christmas? Will I? Pray that we all do, because there's always room for more. Let's ponder that as Josh and the team lead us out of worship.